Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Hello and welcome to Olympic Fever, the show about Olympics for Olympics fans, by Olympic fans, something like that. I am your host, Jill Jarris, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. Hello, Jill. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. We are going to talk about the big event that happened this month at the International Olympic Committee's meeting in Lima, Peru. This would be the date where the IOC would select the host city for the 2024 Summer Olympics, and that is always a huge deal. But wait, there's more. Yes. They they also selected 2028 as well. Yes. And why is that, Allison? Well, I have a little story for you. Cast your mind back, way back to September 1990. The IOC was meeting in Tokyo to select the host city for the 1996 Summer Games. Six cities were competing, and the competition was tight. Most bets were on Athens to host the Centennial Games, but Atlanta had submitted a strong bid. Excitement for the announcement was so high, it elicited live television coverage. Chuck, what is the mood down there? Well, Sandra, a lot of anticipation, obviously, and I must tell you that as a native Atlantan, I am most proud of what I have seen here this morning. This city has supported this bid for the last four years and gotten behind it. As you heard Commissioner Lomax say early, it has been the spirit of the people that has made the difference. And I have to tell you, as we await the next hour, an hour that I think will be the most important in the history of this city since General Sherman marched through here. And as far as what will happen, who knows? I will tell you this, regardless of the outcome, Atlanta has been a winner. They've been a winner in the presentation. They've been a winner in the way they've handled themselves. And this city is now an international city. There's no two ways about it. Then IOC President Juan Antonio Samaranch took to the stage and made this announcement. The International Olympic Committee has awarded the 1996 Olympic Games to the city of Atlanta. (laughs) 
Samaj really knew how to draw out the drama of the moment. There were cheers, hugs, huge crowds in Atlanta celebrating. Members of the losing delegations collapsed in cheers. This was a big deal. Earlier this month, current IOC president Tomas Bach announced the host cities for both the 2024 and 2028 games. And let's just say the atmosphere was a little bit different. I have the great honor to announce that the International Olympic Committee has simultaneously elected the host city of the games of the 33rd Olympiad 2024 and the host city of the games of the 34th Olympiad 2028, Paris 24, Los Angeles 28. No live TV coverage, no wild cheering, no crowds back home watching on big screens. It was all very clinical and even a little sad. By the time this decision was made back in July, only two cities were interested in hosting 2024, and no cities had expressed interest in hosting 2028. And this lack of interest is not limited to the summer games. When the IOC awarded the 2020 Winter Games, only two cities were in the running. Beijing, a city with no mountains within 50 miles, and Almaty, Kazakhstan, a country with extremely poor infrastructure and an even worse human rights record. Oslo, Stockholm, Krakow, Rome, Hamburg, Toronto have all dropped out of recent bids. Voters don't want the Olympics in their cities. Public referendums have derailed bids in Budapest, Boston, and Munich. Hosting the Olympics is too expensive, too disruptive, too unpredictable, and too difficult. What was once seen as a way to get attention and investment for your city is now regarded as a risky move that can make your city the one place people don't want to go. Beijing saw 2 million fewer tourists in 2008. London tourism dropped 15% in 2012, and Rio's tourist traffic was down a whopping 39% in 2016, often attributed to bad press surrounding the Olympics. The last games to make a profit was L.A. way back in 1984, and even the most cost-efficient of recent games, Vancouver, went over budget. Cities are left holding the money bag for white elephant stadiums. The bird's nest in Beijing is mostly unused and costs $10 million a year to maintain. No wonder Beijing wanted another games. Even bidding on the games can cost a fortune. Estimates run between 50 to $60 million. Chicago spent $70 million to lose the games in 2016. While most of that was private funds, taxpayers have to chip in whether they realize it or not. Chicago is still paying for property that was purchased by the city for a potential Olympic village and for concessions made to unions to prevent labor unrest during the bid process. Everyone wants to come to the party. Nobody wants it at their house. Enter IOC President Tomas Bach and Olympic Agenda 2020. Olympic Agenda 2020 is uh, the roadmap uh, for the future of the Olympic uh, movement. We see uh, some challenges uh, ahead. Uh, we have to adapt to modern society, to a modern world. And uh, this agenda is about addressing these issues of uh, sustainability, credibility, and youth. Olympic Agenda 2020 is a plan to make it easier and cheaper to bid for and host an Olympic Games. What is it? And more importantly, will it work? That's a good question, Allison. Thanks for that story and how we got to Agenda 2020. I think it's interesting that uh, Thomas Bach once says that uh, the IOC can drive changes because they're in the driver's seat. But I 
kind of think they're being driven by the change, don't you? Well, I mean, they're driving a very expensive car, that's for sure. And they don't want to downgrade. But, you know, they've got champagne tastes and they got to start working on a beer budget. And I, I think a lot of the members know they have to change, but they don't want to. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, everyone says they need to lose weight and yet they're still buying donuts for breakfast. Very true. It, it's, it, you know, they recognize they've got a problem, but, you know, let's change. Oh, but not that, but not that. But they actually did put forth a very comprehensive plan to change the bidding process, to change the hosting process. Um, they included in Agenda 2020 elements to make sports cleaner um, in terms of doping and to put the focus back on the events and the athletes rather than on how much money can we make off these games. Right. Um, so the, the, the intention is definitely high-minded and well-placed. Whether it's actually going to happen is another story. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point because uh, Agenda 2020 is a pretty big plan to do and they've they've been implementing it over the last few years, but you're still talking about a 40-point plan to improve the games to make it cheaper. And some of the things that they've done, at least on the bidding city side, because that's kind of what we're focusing on today, is the cheaper bid element, oh, they don't have to produce paper copies of the bid anymore. Cities can send electronic copies. So, you know, that's a nice way to save on printing, but you're only talking about a couple thousand bucks, I think. Well, it... I think it's more than that because really those bid things were books. So you were creating a hundred copies of a book. So I think it's significant in terms of not producing paper copy and then shipping all that to Switzerland. Right. So I think it actually does make a, make a difference. One of the other big changes was they're trying to reduce travel by both the host cities to Switzerland and by the IOC members to visit the host cities. And one of the big things back in the day was the controversy surrounding how much money was spent when the IOC came to town and the whole bribery scandal related to Atlanta and Sydney and Salt Lake City and Salt Lake City, you know, were these country committees spending literally a million dollars when IOC came to town. And now if they're not coming to town as much, it makes a big difference. And the IOC now is paying for all that travel. They're not accepting all those gifts. Which, yeah, which... I think that does make a difference because as, as we've said, they have champagne tastes. So usually the stipulations on IOC travel is pretty in-depth and they want a you know, a very nice hotel isn't a great way to describe it. It must be top of the line and, you know, good meals. But but when you think about this, I think that the, the reduction in trips is helpful. And let's be honest, I think a lot of IOC members at this point have been to a lot of these cities just in their regular yes. day-to-day. It's not like... Yes. And it's not like they're going did. to Springfield or something and they've never been to Podunk, <laughs> USA, you know. Right. These are these are big cities, though I don't know how many of them had ever been to Kazakhstan before. And I don't know how many of them ever ever want to go back. <laughs> it was 
if you look at the Kazakh, because Kazakhstan is bidding again. Oh, they are um, bidding I'll, again for twenty twenty six. Yes, Almaty is bidding again. No, for yeah, twenty twenty six, and they have to do things like build an appropriate airport. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's but but you can see rough. where you, you know in a way the IOC likes that. Hey, we've brought this, helped bring this city to the world stage because that happened with Barcelona. But in the case of Barcelona, they were they already had plans in place to transform the city. Like they transformed the harbor from and into more of a tourist attraction, and they had other plans in place whether the Olympics came to town or not. But the Olympics, as a driver of all of the, this construction, is. It's hard because you have to deal with a set deadline. Well, LA's bid included something like that. Part of their bid is to expand public transportation. You know, the traffic in LA is is notorious and famous for being awful. And it is something that the current mayor, uh, Garcetti, has been pushing anyway. So now they've got a deadline. Now they can say, we need to have this public transportation plan in place by 2028, We've promised it forces concessions from the state. It forces concessions from the city. Um, and they have the plans. It's just getting it done. I mean, we all work better on a deadline. Right. So they didn't need to come up with a new plan. It's just getting it done. And the same thing with a lot of the uh, facilities. For years, the IOC was pushing new, fancier, splashier facilities. And now they're saying, oh, no, you can reuse. So L.A. has almost no new facilities. They're not building an Olympic village, per se. They're going to use university space. Um, they're using the Forum and the Coliseum and all these existing stadiums. Um, Paris, on the other hand, is using a lot of its, if it's existing, but also doing a lot of temporary which so is not still, have... you know, the interesting thing is that temporary structures still cost a lot of money to build, and they're in place for three weeks and then they disappear. So it's still right, a pretty like, big investment. But but it is not that white elephant like the bird's nest that you have nest to maintain. Is the classic, right? I mean, it's ten million dollars a year just to keep that building upright, which is crazy. And if you can't which house, is crazy. you know, can't put any events in there, there's something wrong with the way you've planned it. You know, right. It'll it'll be interesting to see. I, I know this is a little off to the side, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with with Tokyo because they had a stadium that still seemed to be in pretty good use, but they tore it down to rebuild a stadium for 2020. I wonder if that was a similar thing. Like the stadium is okay. It's not that great. I mean, when was the Tokyo Olympics? 64, 64 I believe. Okay, now we're going <laughs> to get all technical of when it was. Well, if so, we don't get technical, somebody will get technical on us. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. They'll call us and what, what do you not know when it was? But 64 is a very old stadium. So I'm sure there was calls for upgrading that stadium for Tokyo anyway. So this may fall into this gives us a deadline to push it, possibly. I don't know that for sure. I know the... Sion, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, bid for 26, is using facilities from San Moritz, which was in the 50s. So they're going to upgrade them. 
but not build new. Which I think is really smart because you're talking about facility facilities that even though you have sports that use them may only get used a couple of times a year for an event and then for training. So to keep right. those to keep those going is is can be really difficult. So I think it's really wise that they've they've started to look at the fact that we need to reuse what we already have and that maybe right. the latest greatest isn't always what's going to work best to make the Olympics uh, suitable for hosting because they're they're running into a, a, the fact again that nobody wants to bid for the Olympics. And this has happened to them before and they retooled and LA showed how, how it could be done and now they may show how it could be done again. Right. The, uh, the LA bid is very strong. And I think the IOC liked it, liked certain elements of it, but Paris hasn't had the Olympics in a very long time. And I think there was a little element of they didn't want the Americans to take over. So I think that was a little element of awarding it to Paris first, possibly. I wouldn't be surprised. That's a different different story for a different day, though. Different on, story for a different day. On, on America's I think fun. they're both going to be well-run and well-audited. I think we're going to see these finances as part of 2020. That's one of the, the pieces of Agenda 2020 is to make the uh, finances of the games very public, very open. And so you know when people like Sochi go 200% over budget before it happens. That's, which just boggles my mind. And, <laughs> you know, and that's one thing that we will never know how much, how long it takes them to repay that. Seriously. Because right. that's all yeah. very, that that's yeah. a, a very opaque games. But now with a little bit more transparency and hopefully, I, what I think uh, awarding the two games at once, it buys the, it buys the IOC some time. And yes. they get to really look at the bidding process and look at how it's working and and work on getting cities interested in bidding again, because that's going to be the the tough sell after Rio, which is not un unfortunately, that was supposed to be a, a kind of a coming out for Rio on the global stage after yes. just hosting the World Cup. But, you know, the, the their economy took a took a dive and now it's seen as pretty bad choice i think and then but right. and hopefully tokyo will be able to write the summer ship and then the ioc has a little bit of time where they can right so can can say we've changed look we've got two cities right. that are doing really well 2019 they will the ioc will award the bid uh for the 2026 winter so then we won't have an awarding again until 2024 for the 20, is that right? The, the for 2030. It uh, would be 2030, yeah. Yeah, so they're going to have five years of no bids. And they've shortened the bidding process to so just a year. So they'll have four solid years where no bids are coming in. They're not planning for it. They're not awarding any games which should, in theory, allow them to do what you were saying, to really right the ship. So the question is, are they going to get the bids for 2026? There's a lot of cities that have been kicking around the idea. Um, Innsbruck, who's hosted it before, but 
the Austrians are holding a referendum. Yeah, that's coming up soon. They're they're doing it uh, next month. Yes. So again, with the referendum, voters are not thrilled with having the Olympics. And I don't know if 2020 is going to really change voter sentiment in these Western countries about having the games. Right. They've got to hope that 2018 goes well financially. Right. And that that will help boost the 2026 idea because we have had game, you know, 2014 was just way over budget. And that's not that long after Beijing 2008. And then you have 2016, which is also crazy over budget. London was crazy over budget. They've all been crazy over budget. The only one that supposedly was on budget was Beijing, but we have no idea. We all know that those numbers that they produced were not accurate. Yeah. Vancouver was minimally over budget, but they still didn't make a profit. They barely broke even, and they've been reusing all their stadiums. Right. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Canada is just, they, you know, Calgary has been kicking it around. And I'm like, Canada, no, don't do this to yourselves. <laughs> as much as I would like it, uh, you know, in Calgary, because that's a reasonable distance to travel, I certainly right. would feel and safe host- going to Calgary. They have a former host. They have some of the infrastructure there. It probably just needs to be repaired. But you're looking again like Almaty Kazakhstan wants to host. (sighs) You know. Turkey is kicking it around. Um, I think it's pronounced Erzurum. So then you get into not just a money issue. But yeah, then you get a, a, a geopolitical issue. Right. As well. Which is a whole other issue. That's another episode we'll do. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what the IOC can do, will do, to make the bidding process easier, to make it, and to make the games more affordable, and to make cities want to host them again. Because if nobody wants to host, then we have, uh, we have no Olympics, and that's. And that would not be good. No. That's not what we want. Yeah. No. I mean, the other big idea that's getting kicked around is having permanent host cities. Which would be interesting, but it depends. I mean, you're still talking about if you had three host cities that were permanent, you wouldn't get the games for every 12 years. So you have to keep those facilities up in the meantime. What if that didn't right. work? Or, you know, you could have one host city, but then that also means that it puts other parts of the world at a disadvantage because they've talked about making Athens a host city permanent. Not they, not the IOC necessarily, but people have been kicking that idea. Yes, there you go. (laughs) Uh, People, (laughs) experts have been kicking around, hey, why don't we just leave them back in Greece? Well, you either probably have all the athletes going to move to Greece to train and be there as close as they can for a long time, or you just put people at a disadvantage for travel purposes. And, you know, NBC is not going to be too happy about not being able to put live events in primetime. Right. And And the IOC counts on that money. Right, because NBC pays the most for anything. So they really have an interest in moving the games around to better offset a U.S. television schedule. You know, the American TV rights cost the most. Even though all different countries are paying for TV rights, the IOC makes the most money off the American TV rights. So would you really there you know, would you really want it in Greece all the time? 
right. they're going to lose money. Yeah, if we're not watching them, we don't want to pay as much for the games. Right, and they can't sell the commercials for as much. Commercial sponsorship drops off. I mean, it's a whole domino effect. Right, and I think the IOC recognizes they don't want to lose that that cash influx at all. Yes, and, and a permanent host city to me also takes away kind of all the charm of the individual character. Right, because then you lose out on being introduced to a city you may not know, you miss out on uh, the the cultural aspects that you see during the games and during the opening and closing ceremonies, and your favorite Mary Carillo stories. Mary Carillo stories, where she goes and she tries out the Matryoshka dolls, or, you know, I can't imagine what she's going to do in Korea. There's going to be some bizarre food involved, I have no doubt. And I'm excited. I'm excited. Though I think I just insulted Korean cuisine. <laughs> we'll Please don't write mind. in. I love Korean cuisine. I drink kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is our our look at the the current state of hosting the games. And now we're moving on to trivia. So, Allison, Ooh, okay. yes, are you ready? Do you have your trivia question for me, or do you want me to I, go first? No, I'm, I'm excited You're about ready. my trivia oh, question. Oh, okay. I'm always so, filled with dread. <laughs> uh, 2028, mm-hmm. L.A. will be the sixth U.S. city hosting a games for the ninth time. So nine Olympic Games have been in the U.S. Okay. Can you name... The other cities. Uh, yes, hold on. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm writing this down as I go. So how many cities are we looking for again? Six? Uh, well, Wait. well, six total. LA is one of them. Six cities. So okay. I need five other cities. So we have St. Louis in like 1904. Yes. Um, LA, which is LA 32, 84, and 28. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Salt Lake City was 2002. Mm-hmm. We have Lake Placid, New York, uh, 1980. Um, and? And 32. Lake Placid also 32. And 32. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then Squaw Valley, Idaho. Which... That's the one that everyone forgets because now you're going to get them all. Oh, shoot. Because now Yeah, I'm Squaw not... Valley was 1960. 1960. You got one more. Oh, Atlanta. Atlanta. And 1996. I didn't think. See, Squaw Valley in St. Louis is the one that people forget. Right, But you even knew the years show off. (laughs) Studying. (laughs) I've been studying. (laughs) So yours I'm making sport. Go ahead. Before before you do that, I just want to point out, I was going to ask an additional question. Oh. But it's kind of, but it's in the answer. Just to point out that 1932 is the only Olympic cycle where both summer and winter were hosted by the same country. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. Wow. Interesting. And now we can't really... Well, you could have that if you want to talk about a cycle. Right. Because they're split now. But uh, that's very. Right. That's an interesting point. Uh, um, uh, all right. So my question for you is sport-based. Um, no. Uh, for our listeners, I belong to a curling club, and this week has been nonstop emails uh, in trying to get the curling ice laid and everything up to snuff so what you need to get your sheets ready yes we need to get our ice sheets ready and See, it's, that, that's it's like complicated one it's really complicated and you know it involves layers and layers of flooding and painting and and mud making and and i don't i don't know everything that's involved that, that's but. my one 
piece of curling terminology that I know. It's a sheet. sheet. <laughs> yeah. Well, well by, 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 by Pyeongchang, we'll have you up to speed. I know. So what year was curling first a metal sport? Oh. My first thought is 92, but is that, am I too far back? No, not far no. back enough. Oh, okay. Then I, I mm, like how far am I going? Like really far. Like 1908 far? Well, no, not there that far. Yeah. In 1908. So we'll say 1928 then. Have it I was... gone too far? 1924 in Chamonix. Oh, Chamonix. Wow. And then after that, it was demoted down. Well, I guess, yes, demoted, if you want to say that, uh, to a demonstration or exhibition sport for 32, 36, 64, 88, and 92. And it regained okay. its medal status in Nagano in 1988. 1998, uh, sorry. No, wait, 96. No, Nagano 90, was 98. Wait, Ninety-eight. That's right. Okay. Okay. I'm getting my years mixed up. <sighs> so curling was there, and then left, and yes. then came back for a long time. Left, and it was. It hung around for a little while, hopeful, and then it got shoved out. Shoved out of the corner, the room altogether, and then brought back. Calgary brought it back as a demonstration sport. Okay, that's. So I was my original thought saying ninety-two. I was. Yeah, you were close. That the was... reintroduction. Yeah, yes. let's make myself feel better about yes. how I had no clue. <laughs> Exactly. Let's just make myself feel better. Exactly. We'll do a quick Pyeongchang update. The medals got introduced this week. They're very pretty. They are I pretty. Like they are pretty. They are inspired by the Korean alphabet. I'm going to butcher this word. Hangul as their motif. So the consonants representing the Korean words for the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics are all around the outside of the medals, which are lovely. And then, then they've got a, a texture on the on the medal itself. Well, the the idea is that the edge and the indentations of the sides of the letters are shooting across the top and back of the medal. So that's why it has that 3D texture. Oh, interesting. So like if you took an H on the side, mm -hmm. it would have a hole in the middle. Oh, far So out. They're, they're doing that with the Korean letters as well. Oh, that's... But my favorite part of the introduction was they described the ribbon as light teal and light red. Hmm. The rest of us would call it green and pink. <laughs> it's pink. It's not light red. Are, are we afraid people are going to be offended by pink? Probably, probably. Yeah. Light teal, light yeah. red. And then the the lanyard itself is made of gapsa, a type of cloth used to make the traditional Korean costume called the hanbok. And uh, it's got snowflakes patterns on it. Yes. And so. the embroidery is also some traditional uh, Korean textile art. So they do look lovely. I think... Um, the back side of them has the name, the, the front side has just the Olympic rings in the top left corner, and then the texture is the rest of the design. And then the, the reverse has the name of the sport on it, but it's in English, which is kind of interesting to me. Well, English and French are the official languages of the Olympics. So, so that that may be why they they chose to uh, to do it that way. You know, I wonder how true that is of other medals good question good question we'll have for to the go back and look. Yeah. Show. 
Yeah, yes. we'll do this for the match, so. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a metal show coming up, so uh, we'll dig into that a little further. Um, the other big news about Korea and Pyeongchang is um, that they revealed their competition schedule, which is on their website. So you can see the calendar of what events are when throughout the games. Uh, Pyeongchang. Uh, no, it's just Pyeongchang2018.com. So that's exciting that for me, that's just like, oh, hey, it's getting closer and closer and the, the fever is building. And then yes, February uh, 5th is the official start date. Uh, February 8th is 8th. when curling and ski jumping get underway. But the 9th is the opening ceremony. Yes, because now they have so many events. They got to start before <laughs> yes, the opening ceremonies. They do. The other update that we've had this week is that France has announced that they might skip the games in Pyeongchang over security concerns with uh, North Korea. Um, the sports minister is the one that's leading this charge, and the Olympic French Olympic Committee chair says, no way, we're not going to boycott. It's still up in the air, and Germany and Austria have also raised their concerns as well. So what I'm wondering is, why he's making this public. It's, I would assume he wants Pyeongchang to do something, to change something of their security. Otherwise, why isn't this an internal discussion? Yeah, it's so far ahead of the games. I mean, it, I don't think it's going to do anything. It's not like right. uh, Pyeongchang, I'm sure, already has high levels of security in their, baked into their plan. And right. it's not like the IOC is going to step in and say, yo, Kim Jong-un, stop what you're doing. we got to have a games, right? You know, you don't see Thomas Bach going, excuse oh. me. Could you <laughs> well, please he might. Stop? Hey, could you please stop? Uh, <laughs> he might. You know, Good God, Kim Jong-il. <laughs> please ruin my party. Now I'm going to get in trouble with the Germans. I'm planning. <laughs> We're just going to get in trouble today. The last week it was the Canadians I was insulting. Now it's Koreans and Germans. I'm just... <laughs> No. Around the world with Alison Brown insults. Around the world with, you know, with Alison's insults. No, I'd, I'm not quite sure what the French are looking to achieve. I mean, the, the organizers of Pyeongchang can only take security so far. Right. They can't prevent a North Korean attack or invasion or whatever's happening. And certainly saying we're going to boycott the games isn't going to ratchet down the situation any right so i just i don't understand what announcing that was was meant to achieve if you're going to boycott i guess they're prepping the french people who are probably not going to be happy about that right they're hinting at it but i, I kind of leave this in the category of what people were concerned about with brazil and zika let let the athletes make the choice for themselves. Don't make it for them. Right. So which goes back to boycotts, which we're going to talk about. In a future episode. In a future episode. Because it's, it's an important issue, and it, it's a huge part of Olympic history. Sad, but huge. And Sad, hopefully, huge. hopefully not one that will repeat itself in 2018. Absolutely. I have to agree. And certainly we, we wouldn't want anything bad to happen to any of these athletes because we're not paying attention. I just, we'll keep our fingers crossed. That this exactly. Is all exactly. Because, you know, nothing happened with Zika. That's for sure. There, there's been no report that an athlete or a visitor contracted Zika from going to the Olympics. Because I think they would, we'd be all over that. We'd be hearing it. Right. 
and following up. And so following up. this could be a whole lot of stink over nothing, really. People like to, to make a, a lot of noise sometimes when it comes to this stuff. And, and you know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering if he's CYA. Let's make a stink about security for Pyeongchang. So if something happens, I won't get in trouble for not having raised the issue earlier. Could be, could be, but I hope not. I, I hope not too. Yeah. Would be a sad, sad situation. Not when Yuna Kim is inviting us. <laughs> that to is Korea. right. That is right. To have a lovely time at what's going to be a lovely game. The Queen of the Ice is inviting me. How, how can I say no to her? <laughs> I can't say no to her. And on that note, it's time to wrap up this episode of the show. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you back here next week. I'm coming to Korea, Yuna Kim. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. <laughs>